0: What is very interesting is that with the process of change, it starts with awareness. And in order to create this very simple awareness, what I see, a lot of people are trying to convince them with facts and data. And yeah, but you're trying to convince the rational brain in when in fact you should first impact the primal brain in order to impact decision. We know in neuroscience that in order to truly impact decision or behavioral change, you first need to impact attention. And if you impact attention, which of course happens, you know, in the primal brain, you impact emotion. If you impact emotion, still in big system, then you impact memorization. And as a result of impacting memorization, then the primal brain sends the information as valid to the rational brain. And then we start to impact behavioral change, learning, and so on and so forth. Unfortunately, most people are avoiding the primal brain and they go directly to the rational brain. Mm -hmm. What we do is we constantly stimulate the primal brain. We use very simple aha moments because nothing works better than aha moments.
1: Hi, I'm Manya, the host of Your Greatest Work podcast. This is a show for course creators and thought leaders who are creating a learning experience for their audience. I'm going to help you in this podcast by bringing on guest speakers and having great discussions with people from around the world on how to create really amazing learning experiences that get great results for learners. That's what we're here for, right folks? Well, enjoy this next episode. Hi Bogdan, thank you so much for joining me all the way from Amsterdam in the Netherlands. It's so nice to have you here. It's actually quite an honor to have um, a fellow course creator um, joining the podcast, and I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation. And hopefully, we can dig deep and get really vulnerable for our audience today.
0: Thank you so much, and uh, well, good morning, everyone. Good afternoon. Good day. It depends when this is going to be uh, is going to be uh, um, um, published. And yeah, Mania, thank you so much for uh, for having me. Such a small world, isn't it?
1: Yes, it's a small world. Um, I always love anytime I get on the phone with somebody or one of these recordings, and we just find out instantly what we have in common. I think that's always really cool. And um, yeah, we just found out my grandparents are Dutch. You're in Holland. You're from Romania. I've got Romanian family. So there's, you know, even just that wee little bit is always um, something we can connect on. So tell me more about what's going on with you right now. What's your big um, project that you're undertaking right now? Are you releasing a new course or are you in ongoing maintenance mode? Where do you, what are you at? What are you up
0: to? Well, <laughs> we're, we're running a lot of different projects. I think that's one of the uh, amazing things with, with what we do. We're running so many different projects at the same time. Um, basically on the online courses platform, we keep on releasing, uh, exclusive video courses. Then we have the experts that are being released. We just announced our, our board, our board of advisors. So that's fantastic as we're growing and we definitely need a board of advisors. Um, so there's just so many things happening. And on a personal level, I just announced my seven week neuroscience for business, uh, program which will be, I think is by far the most complex uh, learning and development program I've developed. It's a combination of live one-to-one, of course, um, video uh, exercises and so on. So it's super, super cool.
1: Very cool. Um, Business neuroscience is one of my favorite nerdy topics. I read about it a lot. I love learning about the brain. I love talking about how we can nourish the brain and um, yeah, neuroscience is definitely a field that I'm really interested in what which is why we're talking today because I think that what you can do is you can bring the experience that you have as a course creator, as a business owner, and coming from that entrepreneur perspective Absolutely. and helping those of us here on on this listening to this podcast recognize what some of the challenges are when it comes to launching your own courses. How do you kind of check your ego and recognize when? You might need to do some work on your course when it may be some of the responsibility of um, your students not thriving in your course. That might be some of your responsibility as a course creator. And I think that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes, but I, I hope we can talk about that today and also a bit more about mindset. So how can yeah. we create activities in our learning that help to adjust the mindset or help people to overcome those hurdles And I think maybe you would be interested in talking about these topics. Am I right?
0: Absolutely. And uh, I think that uh, I also have quite some uh, experience to share. So uh, we're up for a very good conversation.
1: Awesome. Well, let's start with putting courses out there and, you know, what experience have you had to recognize when, okay, I might need to do some adjustments on this course. What were some of the indicators to you that maybe it wasn't your best work?
0: Um, this might sound very arrogant, but I have never had any of those. Um, (laughs) but you'll, you'll understand where I'm coming from and you're going to see it's not arrogant. Um, 20 years I've been in the, in the shoes of suppliers. I've always been the supplier, which means I've always been snapped over my face and over my nose by clients. Uh, sometimes rightfully, sometimes being very wrong, but still that educated me to, constantly uh, challenge what I do and to constantly ask for feedback mm-hmm. and also to know how to ask for feedback in the way that uh, I don't want people to react. I want people to respond. Um, I don't want people to just say, oh, it's great, or but to actually give a lot of, of context. Um, and that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's that principle where before I launch something, I'm measuring nine times and I'm only cutting once, so to say.
1: Gotcha. So yeah. if
0: you are to look at it, uh, we're very much, uh, project managers when it comes to that, we put a lot of research and development into a course, how it works interaction. All right. We use a holistic approach. We start with the why, then we go into the how, then we go into the what. So then it's, it's, the content is the one which is actually being delivered at the end mm-hmm. or developed at the end. So as a result, it's very rare that we're getting it wrong with the content as a result, because we didn't start from the content. The content was actually the last one. So if there's a recommendation that I can always make is always start with why. Um, yes. Why are you doing this? Then how are you going to achieve that? You know, what keeps your potential customers or readers or uh, course, uh, uh, course participants awake at night? And if you always focus on that, if we always focus on that, then we always come with the right, with the right content. Um, of course, ego does not belong there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, think that, and again, being fortunate to being, you know, literally slapped over and over 20 years, um, you understand that, uh, you know, you can take feedback in two ways. You can feel very disappointed or very upset or uh, they don't get it or not, or you can just say, okay, wait a second, they might be right or they might be wrong, but what if I did not communicate it correctly? Yeah. maybe the content is good, but maybe the way I communicate that content is misunderstood. In which case, okay, wait a second, maybe we need to look into that part. So I I think if anything, I always say it's like an equation uh, where you just write everything, you start with the why, the how, the what, and then you put all these things together. Then as a result, the the content kind of comes as a result.
1: You're right. And um, some of the very first videos that I ever produced were about this. It was Start with your learner and what do they need? And you need to sit beside them. You need to speak to them. You need to see people doing things well, people doing things not so well. And you need to get into their head so that you can understand what is the real gap and what do they need? You know, do they have some skill issues? Is there something they don't understand? Do they have some mindset challenges? And then you can... Think about, okay, how are we going to create an environment where they can learn this stuff? And then finally, what is going to be in it? So um, I love that you have your very simple formula. Start with why, figure out how, and then decide the what. Because I agree, you're going to be more likely to get it right. And the other um, added layer that I always like to include is to do a pilot. I always test it out, and I'm sure you do too, but I'm just saying this, you know, reinforcing this for our learners. I've had to spend so much time with clients, you know, really explaining why a pilot is going to save them so much time and money and embarrassment if you just test everything out before you go to market with it. So that's really critical as well. You do it with a small audience and then you can quickly cycle back and make any quick fixes that you may have missed in that early research phase.
0: Correct. And, you know, this is part of that project management that I was that I was calling earlier. Uh, we should absolutely pilot everything that we do. And of course, it's very important that you know who you're piloting with because that's where having the right people to give you the right feedback uh, is fundamental Uh, because I've also seen situations where people would just invite whomever to give them feedback during a pilot, but you might not get necessarily what you need. So you need to make sure that you have the right stakeholders being part of that pilot and linking back to the client is always what one of the things that we're known for is co-creation. Mm -hmm. Um, We have the experience from this side, but they know their employees or they know their target audience. And we need to work together in order to make sure that we tailor everything that we do. We tailor it to the last uh, element. And what we do, we use touch points. So basically what we do is we identify every single touch point in the learning experience of a participant. Mm -hmm. And then we go backwards, Mm -hmm. uh, starting from the why into the what. And we literally emphasize on every single touch point. Because then we know we can't get it wrong. But then those touch points, you need to validate them as well. Are those t- touch points a need to have or a nice to have? Uh, right? Something that I always say, the nice to know, the need, the, the need to know, the nice to know, and the where to go. Yep. Um, going back to ego, if your ego is too strong and you're too strong on a specific touch point or topic, you're going to have a little bit of a challenge because sometimes people will tell you that something that you find very important in that uh, learning program you know, during the pilot, they will say, actually, that doesn't really matter. So then you have to, (laughs) right? Then your ego, if it's about your ego, then you really have to have a conversation with yourself. So, okay, maybe to me, it makes sense, but I'm not doing this for myself. I'm doing this for my participants and for their learning experience.
1: That's right. And I think that can be a challenge. You know, how many times have we, oh, I don't know about you, but I love taking courses. So I've purchased a lot of courses over my um, professional lifetime from people all over, you know, online, you name it, institutions. And some courses are so hard to finish. Yeah. Because there's just so much irrelevant content in there. Right. And you know, there's mechanisms you can put in place to help to stream people through your learning so that they're not being bogged down by stuff that's too easy. And I think that's something course creators could really um benefit from is some of those strategies you know about how can we measure people where they're at when they come into the program how can we get them the resources they need that are relevant so that we can help them cut through the clutter um, and jump through some of the beginner stages if they just need you know key learning in some areas so I think that's useful (laughs) as well for people and I'm sort of diverging from what we were talking about.
0: Well but that's a very interesting uh, um, um, you know topic that you're bringing forward because what I also see very often uh, with certain learning and development specialists or with course creators is that they say well i 'm going to open this um, uh, you know every course or every part of the course for feedback from the participants, but the participants don't know what they don't know, so just the fact that you allow them to give you feedback they don't know why they're supposed to give you feedback because they didn't learn it in the first place right so if they don't know what they don't know." What kind of feedback do you expect from them? First, you need to guide them in the right direction, uh, tell them what you expect, and then they will probably give you that feedback. But otherwise, you're kind of like shooting blanks. And uh, I see this happening, uh, uh, happening a lot. And unfortunately, as a result, then the course creator will get very biased, often irrelevant feedback because you just didn't brief your people exactly. You didn't tell them what you need and in the way you need it. Um, so yeah, then it becomes extremely subjective.
1: Right, and I think that having a really structured approach to this pilot is yeah. important. Before we go into the pilot, I like to make sure that we've figured out which groups are going to give us feedback. Is it something that we have some people who are objective who can observe? We always give them a document that they can work with so that everybody's giving us, you know, feedback on the things that we want to hear about. And then we get Feedback from learners again with very clear questions so that they know exactly what they're evaluating the program against. We like to observe to see what things make us cringe, where we're like, oh, that didn't work out. Okay, look, we gotta try something different there. And that and this is good. So you get um, you know, full circle feedback and it yes. is structured and people know how they're evaluating it. So that is a whole nother topic, something
0: which I and i think you know one last handy. thing to add on that because i think that's very important and, and i'm um, we're very often uh, asked how we do this um what i always say is simplify 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 um, especially in the learning and development, uh, we want so much to, uh, uh, we think that we prove our credibility through complicating things. Um, but you know, most people pretend they do not understand and they will not say that they don't, don't understand because then they think that maybe you're thinking they're silly or they're stupid or unintelligent. And as a result, people pretend to understand, um, and then they're pretending to give you feedback, right? Mm-hmm. And this is a, a, a never ending circle. Very often what we do, we test our content with children. If okay. children understand the structure, right, it's the same thing like going back to the iPhone. When the iPhone started, people were saying, how is it possible that you know where your fingers are going to go on the screen? Because they tested it with children. As a ch- and they analyze how children were playing on the screen. And as a result, s- logically, that your brain will do exactly the same thing if you're 80 or 40 or 22. Um, so... It's exactly the same thing. We go back to children and if children are looking at us like, I don't get it, mm-hmm. then we change the content. <laughs> um, That's a good point. <laughs> people are very good at pretending. They're so good at pretending that they get it. Uh, we did tests where we put people in a room, we gave them books to read. They couldn't understand the thing. We could write, we were analyzing because, you know, with, with a lot of, in neuroscience, we, we do a lot of um, analysis of facial gestures. Uh, um... um We look into the moist of the skin, moisture of the skin, or we look into blink rate and, you know, electroencephalograms and so on. And we could analyze the uh, facial gestures, especially the 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 you know the immediate ones because they link to the limbic system, and the limbic system, as I always say, don't lie yeah. <laughs> um, and then it was fascinating to see their instant reaction when you realize that they're confused they don't 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 get it, versus three minutes later when you ask them, so how was this?" yeah, yeah, it's interesting, but maybe I can get a little bit more context on it. It's like you actually didn't get it so it's very important to know how to phrase uh, certain questions and certain parts of content uh, and to simplify it. Simplify, simplify, simplify. Less is more.
1: Yeah, these are really great points. And I feel like we could have lots of conversations just about the research that you do, because that sounds really interesting as well. Yeah, it's fun. Um, Okay, I'd also like to delve a little bit more into Specifically, what you are doing to handle these mindset challenges. So, when you go into a situation and you say, Okay, we have found out that really a lot of the gaps we're seeing for these learners is there's some mindset hurdles. So, maybe it's they have to overcome an old way of thinking or they have to kind of change some patterns of belief. And these are the most critical parts before they can move on and learn or have the confidence to work on a new skill. And I'm very interested what you do and what kind of learning activities you put in here. I've had some um, conversations with music teachers, because music teachers have to overcome this a lot, especially with adults. And I'm a, I'm a former music teacher. That's how I actually got started in the business of learning and development. And when adults come in and they're afraid or they're inhibited or they're nervous or they feel embarrassed or ashamed, it's a lot harder for them to try things. So we have to get creative about these mindset hurdles. And I'm curious what you do.
0: Well, um, well, we do a lot of things. But, you know, one of my favorite quotes comes, comes into mind, which is people do not resist change people resist being changed. And it's a very interesting study uh, released that, you know, if you are to split uh, uh, people and the process of change, 5% of the population will never change. Then you have 20% of the population who will kind of change eventually, but only if they really, 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 really have to. So you're kind of left to 25% of the population. You should just not even, you know, try. Then you have 50% of the population who will eventually change, but only, you know, if they have to, you know, they need quite a, you know, and then you have 20% who are willing to change, but they're not going to lead it. And you have 5% of the population who wants to change, will lead the change, will impact the the, the next 20. The 25 together will kind of drag the rest of the 50%. And 25% sounds awful, but don't even bother. Mm-hmm. Um, so... What is very interesting is that with the process of change, um, it starts with awareness. And in order to create this very simple awareness, what I see, a lot of people are trying to convince them with facts and data. And yeah, but you're trying to convince the rational brain in when, in fact, you should first impact the primal brain in order to impact decision. We know okay. in neuroscience that in order to truly impact decision or behavioral change, you first need to impact um, attention. And if you impact attention, which of course happens you know, in the primal brain, you impact emotion. If you impact emotion still in big system, then you impact memorization. And as a result of impacting memorization, then the primal brain sends the information as valid to the rational brain. And then we start to impact behavioral change, learning, and so on and so forth. Unfortunately, most people are avoiding the primal brain and they go directly to the rational brain. Mm-hmm. What we do is we constantly stimulate the primal brain we use very simple aha moments because nothing works better than aha moments instead of telling people a million things in theory i will do a simple exercise they will experience it right cops experiential learning method they will experience it what did you just experience isn't that fascinating and this is how it works people change
1: so could you give me an example about what one of those experiences might be so for example if you know that i'm i'm just going to say pick a random topic. But I'm a bit afraid of money. Okay, let's just say I don't have a great relationship with money, because I grew up, you know, money was tight, things were scarce. That's a very common issue for a lot of people, right? Is this mindset around money. If you know that, and you're trying to teach, you know, a program on I don't know how to break through to the next level, but money is a barrier. What kind of an exercise or activity might you do to get me to have an aha moment that money isn't scarce, but in fact, it's abundant.
0: Well, you know, just thinking out of the, thinking out of the blue, probably my first approach would be to make you understand that this approach and this fear, all right, because it is linked to a fear that you have about scarcity uh, brought you till here. And there's nothing wrong with that because it brought you till where you are today and you succeeded to make it with that mindset. But the person you are today You are no longer the person who used to be in the past because you keep on learning and growing and developing. And although this scarcity and this idea around the fear and scarcity for money brought you till here, it no longer defines you as an individual. It no longer defines you as a person. And you need to start rationalizing that that is no longer the situation you're living in. And although subconsciously there will always be that fear you keep on talking to, talking, right, into brackets. You keep on rationalizing where that fear is coming because fear is irrational. We have uh, four primary emotions, right? Fear, anger, sadness, and joy. Fear is a very strong one. And a lot of people see fear as negative, which is totally untrue because mm-hmm. it is fear that kept us living until now, right? I was afraid of the of the lion. I ran. I survived. Yeah. So if you bring that realization between the, the fear actually happening in the primal brain um, and the fact that that fear is not in the situation where you are today, then that's what it starts. And then at that situation, people will say, yeah, but I don't really believe that this uh, a primal brain of mine is so impactful. And again, thinking out of the blue, one exercise that I would do, uh, and I absolutely love this one is and let's let's try it together. Close your okay. eyes. Okay, I am. Close your eyes. You're in your kitchen. Can you visualize that? Oh, Yeah. Perfect. Now you're going, you're in the kitchen, you're going to grab a lemon mm-hmm. and you are going to chunk that lemon in half.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now you're left with two parts, two pieces of lemon and you're really, really thirsty and somehow it's cold outside. There's no water. So what you're going to do, you're going to take half of that lemon and you're really going to take a big chunk of that, you know, really going to bite into that lemon. Okay. Feel all that lemon just in your mouth.
1: Mm-hmm
0: open your eyes, you have a lot of saliva in your mouth right now. And Mm -hmm. you 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 even had the facial gestures because your primal brain rationalized that as real. Mm -hmm. And as a result, instantly produced saliva in your mouth. (laughs) This is the clear proof that the rational brain always controls, uh, sorry, the primal brain always controls the rational brain. I think it was Buddha who always said it. if you want to look Um, at how the primal brain and the rational brain are, imagine a rider on an elephant. The elephant is the primal brain and the rider is the rational brain. And in general and overall, the rider might be able to control the elephant. But the moment this goes like this, the moment the the, the primal brain takes over, the rider cannot control the elephant. You cannot control your primal brain um, and you just have to let it go and hope for the best right? Mm. So the moment you bring that realization of how biased we are or how much we are anchored to the past because of what we built subconsciously in our primal brains, um, it is much easier to rationalize that and to say like, you know what? Wow, actually that makes sense. And every single time that first thought comes into my head, I know that it's my internal fear. I know that it's my background. I know that it no longer defines me, that it only brought me here.
1: And so what can people do then? They just sort of have to recognize and then move on That's effective enough.
0: It starts with the awareness. Um, And the awareness is the most difficult part. Mm -hmm. Um, And the awareness comes from such aha moments like the one with the lemon, where Mm -hmm. you just need to experience it to believe what I'm going to tell you next. Right. Because otherwise, it's just going to be my words uh, against your past experience and I'm never going to win or I'm not going to fully convince you because you had your past experiences. So right. what I need to do, I need to convince you that you can have new experiences, which are just as real as the past ones. But these ones are more present.
1: Right. Amazing. So I think that this is definitely possible to achieve through one-on-one coaching or through even like a, an in-person class situation. What do you think about virtual coaching or like asynchronous, do you think it's possible for people to achieve these ahas in a virtual situation?
0: Absolutely. And how do you you create
1: that? How do you create that then in a virtual Um, scenario? So this is something
0: interesting. So what we do, and I think that is very specific, what we use is immersive learning through experiential cognition. So basically we focused on three uh, important elements. First of all is immersion. You want to immerse the person right into the experience. So it's immersion as an experience It heavily involves the primal brain, and then it results into what I was saying earlier, attention, emotion, memorization, decision. That's the first one. Then we focus a lot on sensory stimulations. Uh, Unfortunately, people online only focus on visual and auditive, but Mm -hmm. we need to invoke all the other senses. You just felt saliva in your mouth. We use tactile senses a lot. So sensory simulations are really playing an essential role in achieving this mental immersion because we combine the primary senses. Yeah, that's
1: interesting. And then the third
0: one is visual storytelling. And visual storytelling is visual storytelling, which is focused primarily on the primal brain and how the limbic system together with the reptilian brain react to such visual storytelling. And those ones will develop uh, mind-blowing video experiences. And that's, you know, our background in show production because what we do is we create like these mind-blowing videos. I'll invite you to our next ones Oh to see yeah, what I'd it love is.
1: to see one, yeah.
0: They're just these mind-blowing visual experiences. Uh, people describe it as being in, in, uh, in the biggest, like, you know, at the cinema and watching a trailer or something like that. Oh, cool. And then, of course, we focus it a lot on neurotransmitters and how specific neurotransmitters react with certain hormones. Okay. And that's how we build attention, emotion, memorization, and so on. So it's this immersive yeah. experience that changes everything.
1: That's interesting. Um, so if I'm just a regular, you know, subject matter expert in some topic, but I'm not an expert in neuroscience... Are there do you have a resource or some sort of reading that would be useful for people to be able to incorporate some of these things into their own courses without having to be these experts and have this massive visual experience cuz I think it's important that if we're to create our best work we have to be able to build in um into our courses these changes in behavior that that are coming from mindset or attitude. So yeah, what absolutely. would be some resources or some tips for people that aren't like brilliant neuroscientists?
0: That is a very good question. And I'm getting like, Mania, I'm getting that question a lot because, you know, in our case, this is something we've done for the last 20 years. That's right. Um, You know, sometimes people are saying, what books can I read? We didn't really read books. We we, we made them, yeah, uh, so to say, exper- right? Like, yeah, um, I always recommend neuromarketing. Uh, there's a couple of neuroscientists that I absolutely love. I mean, I think Cialdini, everyone should should read Influence and Persuasion from Cialdini. Uh, thinking Fast and Slow uh, is also a good book, right? It's more into uh, behavioral economics. And Antonio D'Amaggio, he's probably by far my most uh, neuroscientist. He's the one who said, we are not thinking uh, uh, machines that feel. We are, in fact, feeling machines that think. That's why you should always impact emotion, not to make them uh, rationalize things. Um, yeah, And that's, that's why marketing
1: is so useful, right? Neuromark-
0: and-, and you know, the funny thing is there are 1 million books written on sales, yeah. 1 million books. There are around 300,000 books and counting on personal development. Mm-hmm. There are 60 books written on your marketing.
1: Interesting. And really, that's what digital marketers are doing. The reason why we buy is because we're affected by our emotions because we're avoiding fear or we're trying to achieve, you know, a feeling of, um, uh, excitement or of, um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? It's not desire, but we're trying to, yeah, achieve some sort of feeling, right. Or avoid a feeling. And I think learning is actually, there's a lot of conversations that are looking at how marketing and learning can benefit each other or how learning departments can start to look at what digital marketers have been doing for the the last 20 years and start to incorporate and borrow some of those strategies. And I think you even touched on that at the beginning, you know, just the idea of user first and user centric design, that is a digital strategy for marketing. And it's
0: linked very much, you know, to the loss aversion bias. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, there's there's 188 biases. Uh, I think the loss aversion bias is by far one of my favorite. Because, you know, as human beings, we, uh, um, you know, very often look into the decision making process and especially a purchase. Right. That can be can mean different things. And, you know, people will make a purchase or they will make a purchase decision. Right. Or a learning experience. They will take a learning experience either because of the excitement of gain Mm -hmm. or because of the fear of missing out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, interestingly enough, is that there's been a lot of study done on that. And if you are to create a report, um, the uh, if you are to count it the um, excitement of gain is somewhere around 0.8% i think if i'm not if i'm not mistaken okay. while the the fear of missing out is somewhere around 2 point something so right. people almost 3 times more will make a decision because of the fear of missing out rather than because of the excitement of gain
1: right and so marketers are what you want are, to do
0: then people either this. want to use one <laughs> or the other you should use them both together because then they become a very powerful tool where you address their fears but actually you create the excitement of learning.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it's, 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 like I said, it's very interesting. Um, I think Influence and uh, Persuasion are very good books for, for also easy to, to understand if you don't, you know, if you didn't study a lot. Yeah. Yeah, um, those are
1: good suggestions and I'll link them um,
0: yeah, probably yeah, in the yeah. show yeah. notes. Yeah, Cialdini is great. Also, uh, also Damaggio are really, really great uh, 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 neuroscientists and they work a lot in neuromarketing as well. So,
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, what have we not covered? I'm like getting so immersed in this conversation, and I want to make sure that we kind of come back to the topics that we had decided. So, we've talked about ego, we've talked yeah. about mindset and what you do, and we've talked about, um, yeah, just like the, this concept of creating learning activities that are around emotion and triggering that for learning. So, let's talk a little bit about maybe learning retention as a final topic. How do you get buy-in from your learners so that they are eager to complete your program and actually retain what they've learned? So, do you have any specific mechanisms that you build in strategically into your program to get people um, to, you know, buy in all the way through? Cuz that's hard, you know. I think like the average course completion rate is 15%. You know, like people buy courses, they get excited in the first five minutes, and then they get partway in. And as soon as it's hard, they quit. That's really, really typical. So, yeah, what do you do? How do you overcome that and get better completion rates and more buy-in?
0: That is a very, very good question. And sometimes I have an answer to that. Sometimes I do not. Um, Because uh, sometimes people just forget. Um, what we do on our, especially on the online courses platform, uh, we have this amazing you know, we build amazing analytics and in the backside and we can see exactly what the progress is, where they are, when they stop, why do they stop and so on and so forth. That's right. Yeah. And we often have still conversations with participants because some of the ones who purchase the course, uh, we know, and because we know them, we know that, you know, they will take half an hour to give us honest feedback. And it's very interesting to see that in most cases, it's not that uh, people stop because the content is heavy. They just stop because, um, I don't know, there's uh, something that happening that happens in life, so mm-hmm. to say. And then they just forget to come back to it. Mm-hmm. They literally forget to come back to it. Why? It goes back to the fear of missing out. They want to get that course because they're afraid that it's going to disappear. They want to get that bundle because they're afraid that they're not going to have the opportunity anymore. And after they bought it, actually, they don't really use it. It's I know, very... That's-
1: Oh, that's such a it, problem because we're it is we're such a problem. seeing that in the marketing world. I mean, everybody, course creators obviously want sales. That's one of their biggest yes. goals. But then when does it get to a point where we're super good at selling and maybe it's not actually what people want? And is that an ethical problem or is that just, oh, tough luck? Like, what do you think? I, I, How does that feel to you?
0: To me, it feels like an ethical problem in a certain way. And allow me to explain, um, we, built, we built all our platforms and those of, those of the ones who know me and they've been part of, of our learning experiences, they know that I'm not lying for a second, um, we are focusing very much on paying it forward. Uh, we work with a lot of, um, you know, associations, you know, teaching refugees, we do a lot of pro bono because mm-hmm. we fundamentally believe in the power of paying it forward. I'm the product of paying it forward. Mm-hmm. I was a very, you know, coming from a you know, modest family and I had people who believed in me and gave me that push in terms of learning and support when I needed it. And I mm-hmm. promised that my entire life I will do exactly that. And I'm fortunate enough to have business partners, Leon Arthur, who is my my business partner, our board of advisors, and pretty much all our experts. We are so, you know, humble to be able to do exactly that, to pay it forward. And I think that goes back to, you know, vulnerability, but it goes back also to the love of teaching, Mm -hmm. the love Mm -hmm. of seeing others grow and develop. And if that's always your main focus, if you always develop a program because of how you want to see those learners, participants, people grow and develop, and you want to see them growing and developing and motivating others, then I don't even think you're going to have ever an ethical problem because you will always try to describe your product. So you really emphasize on that. If that, yeah, going that's, back to, you know. That's
1: key, right? Is to make sure that you're describing the benefit. And if somebody buys it and they don't really need it, I think then it's not really your fault. But I am seeing a lot of times. Courses where it promises the world, and it's kind of almost clickbait. You know, it's like the word the copywriting is so catchy that people are like, oh, this is going to solve all my problems. And then they get into it, and it's not what it promises. And I think that is where, you know, we have to be careful as course creators um, that we're not just having brilliant marketing, but we're also able to help our learners get results by creating a great program that delivers on what we're promising.
0: And it goes back to what you mentioned earlier, which is very much: why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. Truly, why are you doing this? It doesn't have to be only one or the other. But the moment we forget the learner, we forget the learning experience. We forget this love for teaching and training and seeing others bolster and unleash their potential and you know go forward. The moment we 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 no longer have these as our primary goals. I think we're slowly, slowly going to go into, you know, trying to monetize a bit too much or trying to add some things just to, you know, increase the price of that course, et cetera, et cetera. Adding the nice to know, as I was saying before, then the need, uh, the need to know. Of course, you know, we all have to earn our, uh, uh, our rent or our mortgage or, you know, we mm-hmm. have to grow, you know, um,
1: <laughs> pay our employees and
0: exactly yeah. pay our employees. And and that's not what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's much more difficult not to be ethical um, if you constantly know why you're doing this. And if it's always because you want to see those participants, you know, grow, um, um, develop and, and, you know, and you have the love of seeing that happening, I think it's very difficult for someone to go, you know, in that, you know, Mm -hmm. in the Darth Vader part.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, final question. And this can just be maybe one that will leave a bit of a cliffhanger for our next conversation. But have you been getting into or dabbling into augmented or virtual reality yet with your learning? Because I feel that'd be really cool. But I'm just curious if you've developed anything like that yet.
0: Um, It's not really virtual, but (laughs) this will really... uh, So actually, we are working with some neuroscientists um, and we're working with an artificial intelligence tool. Uh Um, Basically, what we do is we analyze uh, behavior of participants, they know that they're using the tool, so it's not something that we keep as a secret. Because what yeah. happens is they will turn on the webcam, and the AI will read their specific questions, and the AI will read uh, your facial gestures. It okay. will analyze your mouse movement on the screen of the computer. We okay. will analyze literally everything, and the AI instantly is giving us information that afterwards we can sit down one to one and uh, um, talk about those um, um, those experiences with hmm. the the people who took the survey. And it's mind-blowing because in most cases, they're not aware of the fact, right, they're being very biased, going back to the fear and so on. And the artificial intelligence can read it from a small millisecond of hesitation of that mouse not going in the right direction. We know exactly if that person was subconsciously lying or deceiving or being deceived uh, by itself. It's not really virtual, right? It's but it's still it's artificial intelligence, but it's yeah. what I always call artificial intelligence l- used for uh helping someone to grow and to develop. It's fascinating and oh, we love yeah, doing that it. Yeah, that sounds
1: interesting. So what's gonna be the outcome of that? Will you be putting out an article or a report in a journal um, somewhere or writing a no, book? What not are you really using because- this
0: for? We're using it one-to-one. So mm-hmm. basically, in the Neuroscience for Business uh, program, we have, for example, a personal development assessment where, uh, assessment where the um, the result will be discussed by a relationship expert, okay. Paula Quincy. She's from South Africa. She's like, you know, if, if you want someone to have a conversation with, I absolutely recommend you have a conversation mm-hmm. with Paula as well. Um, and that's Paula Quincy. And then the other part, for example, is this uh, a neuroscientific tool. And we solely use it. To then have a conversation with the person who uh, um, who took the survey to say, okay, this question: Were you aware that you lied? Going back about change and going back, uh, um, uh, talking about awareness and so on. That's where, for us, that's the starting point. Because if people realize that they're being very much tricked by their own private brain, their set of experiences, you know, being biased because we're human beings then they're much more open to join you in this learning experience because you already proved to them that you really want to help them, you know, go forward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That Um, sounds really genuine and really interesting. But yeah, but it's
0: very one-to-one. It's Mm -hmm. very one-to-one. And in general, look, we don't even have a database of people. We don't really send emailings and so on. Our approach Mm -hmm. is very word of mouth. It has Mm -hmm. always been word of mouth. Um, And it will continue to be like this because we believe in the power of people recommending us to other people. So as a result, one of the things that we promised was that we're always going to be ethical. We're always going to talk to people who are interested in us rather than trying to, you know, sell our services to people who might be a little bit, you know, fooled by, oh, it's neuroscience. Oh, maybe Yeah, I need so it.
1: cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds fascinating. And there's so many just bits of gold, I think, that we've touched upon today that can help you take your learning to the next level. And I really hope that we can come back for some more conversations because I think we've just scratched the surface in some of these Absolutely. topics, um, but it's been fascinating to have you on here. And I'm going to give you the last word. Is there anything you want to close with?
0: No, just thank you so much for, I'm, I'm, first of all, thank you so much for doing this because, you know, it goes back to, uh, this is, you know, very close to my heart. You are, um, you know, you are truly a catalyst for others, people's uh, growth and development. And for that, you know, uh, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very humbled to be part of this. There's nothing better than to be truly a catalyst for change. And Mania, you are definitely, you are definitely that.
1: Thank you so much for listening. I hope you were able to pull something really useful out of this episode. And I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please contact us if you'd like to learn more about anything that we've discussed or if you need help creating your next learning experience. We've got lots of great ways to work together and I would love to have a conversation to see if it might be the right fit. Also consider leaving us a review and definitely subscribe so you don't miss out on any interesting topics that could really help you in your journey.